there's like this injustice bone that I have that if someone makes me feel like I am if someone makes me feel like this is dangerous or like they could hurt me it makes me think yeah they're not supposed to be able to do that it gets better cause it has to get better My name is Sophie Hagen. I'm a stand-up comedian and you are listening to the Made of Human podcast or in short, Mopart. It's a podcast in which I speak to nice people about life, about how to do life, uh, how to be a proper human, how to adult. And if the people I speak to can't do any of this, uh, we just have a chat and just try and feel less alone together. I know that sounds corny as fuck, but that's basically what this is. And uh, this week I'm speaking to Scotty who's one of my favorite people. And I I know, I know I say that about all the people I talk to, but it's what it is. Scotty is so important. I read um, his book, and uh, which he talks about in the in the podcast as well, called Bravado, and it just punched the air out of my chest. It was incredible. So I'll let you listen to our chat in just a bit. First, I want to say that I'm on tour with my brand new stand-up show, Dead Baby Frog. I will be in Nottingham, which is sold out, Whitehaven, Glasgow, sold out, Aberdeen, Norwich, sold out, Kendall, Milton Keynes, sold out, Path, Aldershot, Maidenhead, Newcastle, which is sold out, Newport, Leicester, which is sold out, uh, Everestwith, Bristol, which is sold out, Manchester, which uh, we've added extra seats for, so it was sold out, now it's not, Oxford, Bromsgrove, Stockton, Cambridge, which is sold out, Colchester, New Milton, Reading, Hull, Northampton and Canterbury. Then I will be in London at the Soho Theatre from the 11th to the 21st of December. Now, most of them are already sold out, so uh, I want you to be quick if you want tickets for the London run. I will also be in Denmark. I'll be in Copenhagen, Aarhus, Olbo, Espia and Odense, where uh, all the shows will be in English. Uh, my whole tour is anxiety safe. It has gender neutral toilets and, uh, it has, uh, wheelchair access all around. Uh, for, to find out what all of this means, the anxiety safe, the gender neutral toilets, go to sophiehagen.com where you can also get tickets for all the shows. And whilst you're there, sign up for my newsletter. Please, please, please. You can buy my show, my last show, uh, Shima Shatter, also on sophiehagen.com forward slash shop. It's just five pounds and it's a show about being anxious and about not liking people and hiding in public toilets when you're at a party. Uh, and it's, a, it's, um, it was filmed in front of an audience, which was completely, um, made out of, um, Mopad listeners. So, ah, oh, <laughs> it's not lovely. So, <clears throat> before I let you listen to this episode with Scotty, uh, we shall do this week's uh, Acts of Disobedience, uh, which is where a listener writes uh, to me and tells me about how they have done some kind of um, disobedience, uh, how they've uh, stuck it to the man, I think the cool kids are calling it. So this week's listener is called Emily, and this is what she wrote. My sister has recently been spotting neo-Nazi stickers around her local train station. As well as ripping them down, she has been covering the... Hard to reach ones with Star Wars stickers, obscuring the shitty messages. Fuck the fascists. You bring stickers, we bring Star Wars. And that is just perfect. I think that's the second, the second one we've had where people have made their own stickers, uh, to put on things. And I love it so much. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Emily. Um, 
You can submit your own act of disobedience on madeofhumanpodcast.com. Uh, I really love l- reading them. It's, <laughs> it's just amazing. So thank you for doing that. And c- please keep sending them in and doing it. Keep doing more things. Uh, now on madeofhumanpodcast.com, uh, you can also buy a Mopat t-shirt. We just got new designs. Um, someone called Kara made this beautiful, colorful, um, little, a drawing logo that I've put on a bunch of t-shirts and it's a logo, another logo of uh, me and Susan Kalman in a caravan and it, which is again one of my favorite episodes so but made of human podcast come go and buy a t-shirt because also if I see you at my tour show wearing a t-shirt with my face on it I oh, uh, it's uh, it's so good <laughs> I can't I can't even just begin to describe it but it makes me so incredibly happy and makes me feel so lucky so please do that um also can I just thank the people who are donating regularly to this podcast um there are people who either send me one-off donations or who go via patreon and it makes me so happy and it helps me so so much it is expensive it takes a lot of time to do this and I'm so grateful uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. I get a little email every time one of you signs up for Patreon, and I mean not just signs up for Patreon in general, but when you uh, if you when you become a patron and say that you want to support this podcast, it uh, it makes me so happy. I do a little dance every single time. Um, so on Patreon.com forward slash Mopod, you M O H P O D, you can decide how much you want to donate per episode. Just even if you just if you can only give like a dollar per episode, that does help. Um, but if you give five dollars or more per episode, I give you a shout out at the end of an episode. So, uh, what do you mean? It basically means I'll butcher your name. Uh, you can hear that at the end of this. First, uh, I want you to enjoy this episode with the incredible Scotty. Scotty. <laughs> For people who don't laugh at me. I'm, I'm like, not laughing at you. I'm definitely with you. Always with you. For people who might not know who you are. Uh, just There's, there, there won't, there won't be. be, there no, won't be. They'll definitely all... Oh, Scotty. They'll all know. Okay, yeah. so if a baby is born this very second, yeah. well, how would you describe yourself to that baby? How would I describe myself to the one child that's <laughs> listening to this, thinking who is this person? Um... I'm an artist and I always sound a bit apologetic about that um, because it was never something that I set out to do in life Um, and I make like artwork and theatre and cabaret and write things and generally sort of get on people's nerves talking about things they don't want to talk about that's sort of what I do Um, and sometimes that's on the radio sometimes on the internet sometimes it's in real life there's this thing called real life um sounds horrific it is it's actually it's terrible trigger warning real life is awful um yeah so I sort of do those things and like I'm fat as well which uh I I often use as a identifier because uh, you know being a fat body is a political thing and uh, it's very much part of my identity and my internet presence um so yeah fat weirdo wears clothes that are marketed towards women generally cause a bit of a nuisance that's nice how so um so like i find things that i'm annoyed by and then i try and find ways of bringing that annoyance to the people who are the annoying ones (laughs) yeah you are you am i right to assume you're doing this thing at the moment where you're actually trying to actively talk to like to step out of the echo chamber as they call it and actually talk to is it like like the you you 
addressing is it men like men yeah men? yeah 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 and so that's quite that's that's my shtick that I, I often I'll bring conversation to people who don't want to have the conversation or I start the conversation with them and then I tell the rest of us like no this is what they think everybody okay and I make no premise that, uh no, make no uh, what's the word I make no assumption no I make no insert word here um that somehow I'm there a soothsayer or like artist genius like I'm literally just deliver the shit to people's tables living rooms theatres disused tanning shops um and say right now you can all sort it out so um with the show that I'm currently touring which is also there's a book out as well um it's called bravado and it's about working class masculinity um and I was socialized male so I grew up and someone told my mum this is going to be a man um and I was grew up around lots of very charismatic um very beautiful very charming very aggressive very violent very manipulative working class men um and bravado is a memoir from 1991 to 1999 and it looks at the kind of the conditions that working class masculinity was exposed to and what happens when someone's in that who is the sheep in wolf's clothing is experiencing it and uh, experiencing the violence um sexual violence and aggression um domestic abuse post-traumatic stress disorder you know all the fun things uh that create a great tour So that show is touring male space. So yes, to answer your question, it is about going into male space and infiltrating as the outsider. So it's going to what's known as gentleman clubs or lap dancing clubs, um, army barracks, gyms, working men's clubs. Um, and it's a story that is quite difficult. And I'm very upfront that people who want to come see this should be not be processing um, issues of trauma or violence um, because it's... It, it said very plainly um, four very dark accounts that happened towards my body in those in that decade. Is that something you want to share? Yeah. with me now. Oh yeah, love it. I can't stop talking about so it. I don't have. Then I don't have to watch. It. <laughs> Good. I don't want you to see it. Uh, I think this is the new way. I, I actually said someone the other day. Uh, they said, "Oh, I don't have very many followers on Instagram," and I said to them, "No, this is the new game. You're supposed to get to one." <laughs> that's that's how we we did this. So if you don't see the show good, it means I'm winning. Okay. Um so the show is based in uh I guess four chapters and uh those chapters are blood, sweat, tears and cum. Um Amazing. so the essence of working class masculinity in in my eyes from that decade. Um and it's it's how I, I can't give away too much. Okay. But I'm not I don't perform it. Okay. So I now I do want to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I don't perform it. So there's uh, there's a use of a device that means that somebody performed, someone new performs it every night. Okay. And uh, every time it's happened, it's always been performed by a man. So it's sort of like sneakily to get men to perform this. I do something. So there's that. Um, and quite often when men perform it, you hear the emotion come into their voice. If they are queer or gay, they you hear the emotion come into their voice when they recognise themselves as the victim. And then when cis or uh, heterosexual, well, if cis heterosexual men perform it, they become very uh, conscious when they recognise themselves as the perpetrator. 
Um, and this is based on your life. Yeah, this it's it's uh, completely true. <laughs> Quite often, I mean, you must find this when making autobiographical work. Like you, like lay your life out on the line yeah. for an hour. You pick scabs. You do very uncomfortable things for you and potentially to your family. Um, and then people come up to you afterwards and go, "Yeah, but is it real?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, uh, no, actually, I made all of this violence <laughs> towards myself up. Um, because that's uh, the kind of sadist uh, that I am. No, it's yeah, it's completely real, and it's about what it is to gr- to observe masculinity whilst being a uh, socialized male, while whilst feeling like the outsider, but experiencing it. It's really like. It's really hard to describe this, but it's it's a bit like, I guess the nearest thing I could say is a bit like astral projection. Like you sort of are there, but you know it's you know it's your person that's experiencing, you as a person that's experiencing it, but you feel like removed from it. But maybe that's what life feels like for a lot of people who are oppressed. Maybe. You, you strike me as someone who's very, very yourself. And maybe that's also normal for people who've, been othered for a while has maybe people like us are kind of desperate to become us finally kind of throw away the chains and the expectations but when did that happen like how did you go from someone who's experienced all this violence and and been socialized to be something you might not identify as or you might not feel like or how did the change like how Because I can imagine maybe someone's listening or that, oh, I know there will be people in the world who are growing up in that right now who might not know how to escape it Mm. or how to end up being themselves. Um, The body positive movement would say that there was this landmark moment where I posted a picture on Instagram and I realised that I loved myself. Uh, Hashtag Bopo. Um, (laughs) And actually, I, I sort of really disagree with that. I think... It's all incremental. I think I'm still challenging and unearthing and dealing with unearthed trauma and emotions because these things don't go away. Um, but but then to contradict myself, like I am the person that I want to be. So to break that down, when I'm not the person I want to be and that changes on a day-to-day basis, it's because when you're laughed at and humiliated, when you are the fat kid in school, you are always, you always carry that mentality with you that you're not good enough because you've experienced so much trauma and abuse, um, physical and verbal, that tells you you don't belong, you're not here. And on a day-to-day basis, in public space people make it very clear to me that I don't belong people take pictures they laugh at me they nudge their friends they say verbal they verbalize things to me recently a bunch of guys in a pickup truck veered a truck onto a pavement just so they could tell me that I was a faggot um good funny story though about uh, homophobia because there are those um I was that that happened to me and I was like really shook up so I called the police on the non-emergency line because I'm that type of person that's like is this emergency no there were other people that are dying okay I'll call the 112 line I think that's the number um I actually had to google it that's the world that we live in um and so then I'm on the phone I'm waiting on hold for the police to say this stuff has happened to me and a group of boys cornered me to tell to to like be like, faggot, oh my God, you're a faggot. So I'm on hold to the police going, I need to report a homophobic and another one is happening. Okay, so I'm now reporting two and I'm still on hold. Oh um, so, you know, when you come from that, when when that is 
your everyday experience yeah uh of course you're you're not going to have this revelation of like i am now a new person but on the other hand like i am a person on the defiant days because I will no longer be policed. I will no longer carry this trauma that people have enforced on me. I will no longer be invisible. And so sometimes, I guess, you know, this is complex about my femininity and my visibility, two very different things. Sometimes my visibility in public space is about taking up room to say, I'm not going away, guys. I'm still going to be here. And yeah, this is like what a new human being looks like. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I mean, and that and that feels like a really horrible thing to say to kids. Like, well, it doesn't get better, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of the truth because of the society that we live in. There's like these bigger things at play, um, which like are always going to like really affect our mental health and our mental health presentations on a day to day basis. So it's a relationship with um, being the person that I want to be, and not like I have found utopia. Oh, I have so much. <clears throat> I have so much I want to say. So, first of all, how does it feel like when you then go to these spaces where these men are? Are you not scared? Like that terrifies me. I, it makes me feel like sort of a, a bit of a mediocre activist kind of person because I'm like, oh no, I enjoy the bubble. <laughs> like I like my people. I don't want. I just don't want to engage with them. Where you do the actual hard work, which is to confront these people that I mean is there is any what part you're of saying you? I'm a better person is yeah. that what you're saying I didn't not a better person better activist right and let's not forget I'm still pretty okay because that's what I know that's what we're meant to do is like yeah. we're meant to take the battles and, and confront these people and that's how we change it where I'm I just quite like the bubble yeah I mean like Okay, so I acknowledge that it's a brave thing, and thank you for acknowledging that. Like, um, but there's like this injustice bone that I have that if someone makes me feel like I am, if someone makes me feel like this is dangerous or like they could hurt me, it makes me think, yeah, they're not supposed to be able to do that. Mm. They're not supposed to be able to make me feel uncomfortable or lesser. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's just something inside me that says these, uh, you know, like when we're talking about men, yes, hashtag all men. Yes, yes, all cisgendered um, men. Like this socialization of violence and dominance and um, assurance um, has infected a lot of our lives. And that that will to want to have that conversation with them takes over more than my personal safety. And also if I go into dangerous space, like I, you know, I did a project last year called putting words in your mouth, which investigated why so many working class queer people were turning towards the English defense league and UKIP. Um, And that was frightening because I thought, okay, I'm literally putting myself into the homes and uh, cities of people who like, are have have been quite publicly violent um but i always i just use i seem to use charisma as a weapon uh and i think what i learned doing that project is that and this is a real difficult truth that's really complex but when i wake up in the morning i think i'm gonna try and be a really great mindful person i'm gonna do good things i'm gonna have a great day 
um, when they wake up in the morning, they think exactly the same thing. They think, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to like do the things. It just so happens that our two methods are very different and the things that we think are good are completely skewed from each other. Um, and that helps me understand that, um, okay, there's a, co- there's a commonality, even if that is like really warped. So maybe that's just me trying to like make myself feel a bit like safer. But yeah, I just feel like there's an urgency with these conversations yeah. because I just want to like get them out the way so we can focus on the things like the world imploding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what has happened then when you've, I mean, you, I feel like we're kind of craving that the story is that then you go and speak to them and it turns out they all then understand it and they've all changed their minds and now <laughs> they're all walking in the pride parade and everything's really great yeah no it doesn't happen but and and actually that um that expectation of art or culture being transformative then that way shouldn't be there because all that art and culture is supposed to do is reflect to us uh uh, the the reality of of the world um there's like this theatre academic who is like really clever and I'm about to take their method and make it sound really unclever and probably <laughs> completely incorrect, who's called Chris Good. And he wrote a book that's got a really long name that I can't remember because I'm dyslexic. But it goes, it's something about like there's there's been a shift in culture, whereas pre, pre like Blair World, there was like art and culture was showing us optimism and utopianism and potential futures and now that's changed because the 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 world is now going oh optimism potential futures let's have conversations and arts and culture is now going no here's what's actually going on so it's now dealing with realism rather than utopianism Mm. oh wow I did sound a bit clever um (laughs) uh, speaking about somebody else's theory um yeah so yeah I don't think that expectation to be uh to change minds should be there if it does great i mean the the act of me going into like a rec- i went into a pub in batley in yorkshire um soon like a few weeks after joe cox was murdered there um and i went into one of the rugby pubs and started having conversations with the men about patriarchy and then when i like replay that now i'm like what was i thinking but then i just felt like okay this feels like the right thing to do and if if they went away being like, ah, oh, that was all bullshit, fine. But they have been exposed to like a fat queer femme and that that would have done that has done something. Um so even if it's just that exchange, then I'm alright with it. If they have gone home and thought about it and maybe Googled um, I don't know, like Judith Butler, um, great. But that's my expectation is literally to start the conversation. Okay. And does that help you? Because you mentioned like, like the way you kind of struggle against the invisibility, which is something I, of course, also have have dealt with. And I find that loudness is really powerful. Because I'm I'm doing I made like a Facebook post, and of course there were a lot of people who were blah 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 trolling it and stuff. And then I made another one that was louder. You're not in terms of you know caps lock or anything, but where I just. <laughs> Yeah, listen to this again, repost. Uh, That I put, because, you know, I wrote something about, basically, the very, very basic was me saying, love your body, whatever. Well, that's not the point. The point I made was autonomy, basically. We need to start uh, 
like living now and taking ownership because we can't keep living in the future which is what they want us to do as fat people mm-hmm. you know oh but one day you could be this yeah <laughs> but that doesn't matter right now I'm not you know like I can't fit into the seat belt you could lose weight well I can't right now right now I need to fit into the seat belt right so that was what I basically said and then it was a mixture <laughs> I got so many comments from people saying you are beautiful I hadn't met I had not mentioned beauty mm-hmm. I had not mentioned looked mm-hmm. at one point anyway, you got a lovely face <laughs> that beautiful type of stuff. personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have so lovely bubbly. writing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh god. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. My paycheck told me. Anyways. <laughs> but then I read a new post where I said, which is like kind of controversial for what I've said before, where it attacked the health thing, where I just said, "Oh, I know you're saying that I'm glorifying obesity and that I'm promoting an unhealthy lifestyle, and I just want to say, yeah." That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Be fucking unhealthy. I don't give a shit. Stay in bed, eat pizza. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that is what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm glorifying yeah. obesity. Yeah, beef so fat. I want you all to be so fat and eat so unhealthy. That's it. That's yeah, all yeah. I want to say. And I will now stand by that. I don't care. Like my moral, like in terms of how I feel personally about health and like physical health, I don't even care anymore because now I am promoting an unhealthy life. I don't care. What are you going to do? That health elitism is so, so it's boring. It's so gross. It's it? so gross. And it's so annoying. Because you'll literally do a post about, you, you write an article, post an article about why health is just irrelevant to the whole fat acceptance movement. And someone will say, but, but actually what you can do is you can uh, eat fewer calories. You're like, ah, <laughs> oh, die. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I recently had this conversation with, guess who? My doctor. Oh. Um, because, you know, if you go in with a sore finger or eczema, mm. they want to tell you about, you know, like some form of weight loss to, mm. that you should be considering. Mm. I like the way that people in the medical uh, world now frame it by be considering. It's like yeah. a way of going, you should consider your fat. But it's also like that. Okay, step, maybe try and step up on the scales. Like, <laughs> w- what? Like, like, you can't just say to me, you're fat and I wouldn't trust you or like, like there's not you don't have to look at the bmi charts like i'm i'm here i know mm. like that's not like oh well it's just come to my attention that you might be a, a bit fat like oh no I, I could have told you that yeah i'm fully aware of this fact or like as if they're gonna say it to you and you go oh my oh no what oh. what so I was at the doctor's because, like, like here's the new thing. Like, to, if you want to take a child out of the care system and adopt, as me and my husband are going to do, um, you have to go to your doctor's for a medical because they have to make sure that you're not going to die in 10 minutes. If you die in 20 minutes, that's not their problem, <laughs> but 10 minutes is sort of, like, the, the yeah, ideal time. Which is something they can completely see coming because, yeah. Because they're, yeah. they're living in the future as well. Living in the future. <laughs> uh, God, these, fuck these people it's living fucking... in the future. Um <laughs> And so then, like, she, like, you're made to, like, piss in a bottle. So, so, you know, piss in a bottle. Okay, now, so can I adopt a child now? (laughs) Is this a test (laughs) of accuracy? Your aim. So I like gave her the piss, uh, and then she's like testing the piss to see if I've got diabetes because you know because oh, yeah. I'm fat. So you've got to make sure that you're yeah. not pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, weighed me, blood pressure, bloods, everything. Oh, you're fine, P- perfectly fine. Have you thought about Weight Watchers? Jesus. So it's like okay, so you're telling me like everything about my medical self, like the data you have in front of you is saying fine, yeah, great, wonderful. Have you decided that you should lose weight yet? Like, because that's mm. that's what the conversation was, and then that's so troublesome for like a queer feminist 
likes to be like, okay, I've got to break this down because you're a medical professional. So I was like, are you telling me this from a medical point of view or from like a personal one? And she said both. And so then I had you're to like... how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Get your personal little brain out yeah. there. So it's like, I think this is really troublesome because like, I, you know, and then just... I can't go through it now, but I basically yeah. said the words capitalism, patriarchy, male gaze. <laughs> uh, it, you know, and then she was it's like... It's on a loop until she Googled it. Yeah. What is he talking just about? repeat play. Just got it out my phone, the little transcript that I carry around with me. Um, and then she said, oh, oh, what about the 5-2 diet? <laughs> I just feel like we're constantly <laughs> battling with this, like, oh this sense of, like, fat enemy. But also because it's dieting, which, I mean, mm. I mean, I don't know. It would have made it just, like, a tiny, tiny bit better if she just said change of lifestyle, which we know is also bullshit. But, <laughs> say like, Weight Watchers, that's like saying, well, so you're fine. Have you considered self-harm? <laughs> it's like... Well, Wait, I, what is it's evil. It's proven evil. Yeah, well, I said, I'm not really down with methods of public humiliation, um, to which then she responded with, well, after my babies, it did help me flatten my tummy. Oh, and I thought, like, why? Like, what is, How do you get to have a baby? But, you know, like, because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I going through a test and pissing through a pot and you're allowed to just <laughs> fucking do this thing, you cisgendered privileged person? <laughs> Anyway, I, I hope they're listening. <laughs> but yeah, I find this like, you know, how long? Tw 15 minutes in and we're already on dieting. I love this. Of course. It's, um, it's just difficult because, you know, of course, they're in that environment. I mean, a test, you mm. know, they're testing to see whether or not I am allowed yeah. to have a child. Um, and so then when they're like giving me these things, which I'm like, oh, I feel really strongly about, you have to like sort of self-police. Yeah. And that's the stuff that, like, makes me, again, looping back to that sort of injustice, makes me feel like I've got to sort of change this. And so yeah. I'm keeping a diary of all of the sort of aggressions that are going through this adoption process. One of them, which I'll share with you, is um, I came into, like, this big meeting, me and my husband, and there was, like, 30 other adopters there and the, all the social workers, and they're all going round. And this social worker stops stops the conversation and says, sorry, can I just ask you, why are you wearing pink trainers? What? Yeah, and I was like, oh, because they match, they match my trousers. Because <laughs> I thought, well, if, it, if we're talking <laughs> about aesthetics... Maybe you want advice. <laughs> yeah, like if we're talking about aesthetics, here we go. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm aware that maybe this is like a, a, a presentation of like some form of orderness, order, order, orderliness or whatever that is in my, in my life, but... Yeah, because they match the pink dragsuit bottoms that I'm wearing. And then she called over to the, a social worker on the other side of the room and sort of framed it in a sort of funny voice because then that takes the sting away, right? If I do it in a funny voice, it will mean that it's not true. You might want to put that in his assessment. And I just thought... Like what? Like I can't tell. I can't have a conversation with you now about gender and about the stupid things that you believe in, because you've decided that these pink shoes are not for me to wear. But because you're in the power here, like, like this is a test. Like I can't say anything. Yeah. And it's, it's like you know, after the medical, in front of a room full of uh, people, the receptionist said, "Are you the one here to pay for the adoption test?" <laughs> so it's like. Like, I'm finding this, like, new version of oppression. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. That's not even funny. No. I mean, it's... Sorry, what it's... I, was, am I supposed to... <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'll, um, I'll try a more I, funny I would anecdote. Adding punchline to that because that's really dark. I mean, I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> no, but like it's it is like it's like a comic. Like we can kind, of, but it's mm. you can do nothing, and that's like a that's a thread, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's um, it feels like. Sometimes it feels extremely funny. It feels like I'm in a sitcom version of a BBC Three thing called Adoption, the Gay Way. Um, and then sometimes I feel like I'm in this like really violent climate that's just giving me this stuff so I can write a book about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost too... It's almost too much of a parody of itself. Because mm. I guess when we do kind of... We have this bubble where we know people like us, and you know we, we can have these conversations. And then, if that happens too much, suddenly we're outside in the real world, and someone says something, you go, "Oh wow!" Mm. <laughs> like, someone will just say it to your face, "Oh, I don't like women." You're like, "Oh, wow! Okay, that. Oh yeah, that's a real thing. It's yeah. not something that I've made up to put in a show or on Twitter. This is like a real thing." And then you can sort of then understand. Uh, well, I can then sort of understand why that it becomes so powerless to be able to respond back because the person mm. who is giving out this stuff is the person of power mm. and they're the person who are going to decide my future um, and the future that I think is the one that I want for my life and the one that I think is a really ethical one. Um, but also, like, we do these adoption workshops. You all, like, go with other, like, adoptee parents. And then for the whole... Like, we were there for, like, a week. And for the whole week, we kept on being referred to as, you know, a mixed couple. And I was thinking... A mixed couple. What do they mean? What and does I that thought mean? maybe they're being quite progressive and seeing my effeminacy as like a cis woman. And I thought this is. <laughs> and then I thought, oh no, 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 they've just That's got the words the wrong. <laughs> no, That's never it. No, it's never you it. They're more progressive than me. It's <laughs> never the case, is it? It's not. But it would be nice, wouldn't oh it? Oh my god, imagine! I, when I went into hospital, I fell off stage and I broke uh, my wrist. You, you're going to have to tell that story much slower and with more detail. Okay, fine. So about five years ago, I was on stage at the Roundhouse, came on stage, did my curtain call, boom, spotlight, no edging on the edge of the stage, went over, and you know this, what the bits that the security guards stand on? Like, that went into my <gasps> eye, so that's why I've got a scar in my face here. You see this? Oh, I have seen line? that, wow. Because uh, it's so, like, it's so well-placed, it just looks yeah. like an extension of my eyebrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you see oh, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and like, then I broke lucky, my wrist. Lucky, lucky, lucky is the wrong. Broke my wrist, so I've got oh, three scars here. This is great for radio. I've got three <laughs> scars on my wrist. Um, and then when I went in, I was like in full drag because at the time I was like presenting as drag and then I went to the hospital they put me in a taxi <laughs> bleeding put me in a taxi uh half drag half blood yeah <laughs> and I got to the hospital and the nurse said um what pronouns and what name would you like me to use and I thought this is the world that I want to live in where like medical yeah. professionals say to me like how do we address you um so yeah, there's that. Oh, that was a good. I was waiting for like, but then no, like, that's, that what that really yeah, nice. that's, that's what they did. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, but also we shouldn't be like super grateful. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my, what a hero! <laughs> <laughs> what a nice person just to ask pronouns. Yeah, yeah, but it was. Um, so there are moments. So you know, I guess what I'm doing there is prefacing this by saying like, not everyone who's a medical professional is a hashtag. Not, not all medical <laughs> professionals. <laughs> <laughs> I do when I went to the last time I went to the doctor. 
like exactly the same thing step up on the scales took my blood whatever all of those things were like oh you're absolutely fine and then weight loss and I, and I was I was so shocked I couldn't even be in I couldn't be in any way sassy or snappy or like oh, I'm gonna tell you because I was so shocked like I hadn't been I hadn't heard that for so long mm-hmm. and I knew it was happening because I you know people tell me that this happens to them and I read the articles and all the statistics about you know the things that people experience at the doctors but I was just like shocked and I just said um I right now prioritize my mental health because as soon as I start to even like begin to control my intake of food I get an eating disorder and that is very unhealthy and mm. I start to hate myself and cut myself so maybe I shouldn't be doing that and she went well you can just like wake up 30 minutes before you usually wake up and then go for a run I was like <sighs> Okay, and in my head I was going, how do I report her? Mm. How do I make sure she never works again? Can I kill her? You know, just like yeah. everyday thoughts. These people have trained for seven years. Yeah, have they never met like another human being in those seven years to understand sensitivity? But, oh, but, um, do you ever think about how many like fat people they meet who are just going, yeah, I know, I know. Mm. Yeah, I should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go home and they buy like another diet book <sighs> or Google another weight loss no page. I didn't but now I am thinking <laughs> that so thanks thanks so much I also forgot to put pen signs in that I have a, <laughs> I have a theory mm-hmm. that the NHS you know we, we're told it's in a difficult way I think they've done a secret deal with Slimming World and Weight Watchers where they're on commission because every time I interact with them the Weight Watchers words come up and I'm like this this is this is corporate sponsorship this is definitely like there's something here that's going down, which is making you like you've got a script that if someone comes in, like I went in with eczema and I was I came out angry. <laughs> I went in with eczema, I came out angry. So <laughs> <laughs> my next show for Edinburgh. <laughs> We've all been there, but. I mean, it wouldn't even have to be secret. Weight Watchers would go out and be like, we've now made a deal with, and everyone would just applaud it. Yeah. Good. Good on you. Healthy. It is oh, healthy most, choices. It is the most abhorrent mm. thing. So I have. So this is a question that I always ask, mm. and I, it's, I'm really excited to hear your answer because I think we've already been told it. So I've been told it's a bit of a problematic question, so I'm trying to make it not problematic. So I'll say it. The ba- <laughs> if it's problematic, I'll, I'll go, Sophie. Yeah, please do. Call me this up. Is, this is awful. I'm so I'll tell you what. So the, what I want to ask, mm. and I'll start at the end of it. So what I'm going to ask is how you... Sorry, you're, you're telling me you're going to ask me a question. Yeah, and I'm telling you all my thought process behind that question and how I used to phrase and how I'm now going to phrase it. Okay. It's going to be the next 10 minutes of me explaining this question, to which we already know the answer to. So it's basically about what would you do in a situation of... Um, uh, where you have to kind of take a stand or have to like fight someone in, in a revolution of sorts. So the question is basically, would you join the bad side? Would you be neutral or would you fight? Now, the example I used to have is like, imagine if there was a dictator and they were killing people and it's obviously like a right-wing dictator and there's a resistance movement that you could join, but there's also the option of staying neutral or joining. The, this is happening this now. It's called the conservatives and the resistance that's movement. It's called momentum. The, that's the That's the thing. <laughs> But then I realized that that's what a lot of people... I found out recently in the Facebook group for this podcast that people assumed that I meant, what are you going to do right now? Where in my head, I was in Les Mis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I meant like the French Revolution. Okay, yeah, fine. (laughs) I've pictured myself in Les Mis many a time, so I can answer this. Yeah. (laughs) 
So but always is the know. one, what's her name? Like she dies. Eponine. Yeah. Okay, can I tell you something about Eponine? You can. Yeah, go. I was. Why uh, am I, why are you asking, can you okay. ask me a question on your podcast? <laughs> well, I just need to tell you this. <laughs> I was dumped by uh, a musical actor whose favorite musical was Les Mis. And I say dumped, it was more like he made me aware that we had never dated. And, and, I was, and then he was crying because he was sad he had to, to reject me. So we were just sitting in my bed and uh, he was crying. And I just I was really angry with him because we apparently hadn't dated and I thought we had for about two months. And is he doing that? If you're in your bed, is he doing this post-sex? No, no, no. Oh, no. We, we've been like full on cuddling. Like the only thing we hadn't done was like kissing or anything. We were just like lying up against each other. Like our legs were like intertwined. He had just played a song on his guitar and then he was like, oh, I thought we were just friends. Like, fuck you. No, Anyways. That's I know, not right? how that I know. advert goes. I've seen that advert. <laughs> Guy on the platform, smiles, that one. I've seen that advert play out. That's yes, that's that not friendship. Exactly. No. Yeah. Friendship so, is a card. Maybe we'll go out for coffee. Maybe right. we'll record a podcast. We don't lie in my f- fucking bed. Anyways, so... <laughs> oh, he's so cute. Anyways, so he was, he was crying. He was like, it's always me who gets rejected. Now I have to reject someone else. And I really like you. I want to be your friend. And I was just like sitting there going, I don't know what's happening. But then, <laughs> then I started going... That's okay, don't worry about it. A little fall of rain can hardly hurt me now. And he was like, don't, don't you dare. And I basically just decided the whole song. Great, that's one of my favourite songs. Yeah, that's all I need to know. Do you ever listen to songs that make you cry just because it's a bit like um, Trap Wind that you just need to sort of get out a cry sometimes? Yes, which ones are yours? Uh, well, that one, A Little Fall oh, of Rain. Really? Oh, God, yeah. I have Ship Song. So, no, go on. Uh, it's in a cave song, but there's like a, a an odd cover version made for an advert, <laughs> and that's the one I cried to. Yeah, no, a little fall of rain, and then there's a song that's in uh, a musical that I can't remember now. Candida? Is that no? That's... What was that? <laughs> Candida? No, that sounds the... like a cheese. <laughs> I think it's a disease. To tell you the truth, <laughs> I think that... is that not a vaginal disease, Candida? <laughs> No, I've had. <laughs> Someone Google it. Um, anyway, it's from that musical, and it's called Make Our Garden Grow, I think it's called. Ooh, it yeah. sounds sad. It's, yeah, oh, it's sad. Oh, oh, it's, oh, it's really sad. Oh, God. Yeah, sometimes you need a little purge. So the question is, oh, the I question start, uh, <laughs> back to the question. <laughs> back to the question. Because I, I assume, well, okay, so there's mm. a situation that's a revolution. Which, uh, mm. what, what do you do? What do you do join I do? the resistance? Because there's a follow-up. Do you join the resistance? Do you stay neutral? Do you join the bad guys? So, to think around the question of uh-huh. what I just said about when they wake up in the morning, they think they're the good guys. And when I wake up in the morning, I think I'm the good guys. Yeah. There is the sense of, like, good and evil is only true from your position. Yes. So, like, those people who are right-wing neo-nationalists who... I assume are opposed to our views. <laughs> I don't want to make any assumptions because, as we know, assumptions are dangerous. I think I've only had one Tory on this podcast. <laughs> and I didn't know. <laughs> until, until afterwards. Until it came out and you were like, oh, we'll, we'll can that one. Um, so then they they don't consider themselves bad people. No. I mean, that's the, that's the really tricky thing because, mm. like... Um, Theresa Maggie Thatcher wakes up in the morning and goes, 
right, I'm going to wear a killer blazer and I'm going to go out there and I am going to do great things for the world. Um, and then Jeremy Corbyn wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to have a vegetarian sandwich and I'm going to be a great person. Um, neither of them consider themselves bad. And so then that's, it's tough. Yeah. So from my position of good or bad, I think it's always like to be good is to be oh look i'm going to be pseudo academic brace yourself listeners to be good is to be apathetic because you accept that there is somebody on the other side who's the evil mm. and that you are in the moral high ground where the air and the oxygen is very thin um and we all sort of look around uh, with our incompleteness of like yes i down with global warming but i still want to have my mock chocolate decaf at the right temperature um whereas to be part of the resistance is to be the discourse right is to go like none of this is good enough like even the people on the good side like that isn't good enough like we ne- we should always be advancing we should always be thinking we should always all, always be trying to make space for another and learning for our mistakes oh that's so interesting is it because I'd like to think that we, as like lefties and activists, I, mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but I think I had like an an idea that it was to do with being a good person because the left is feels like it's about empathy because what the right wing can't do is is accept dif- differences in people and they think there's a right way to be. Oh, I guess that, that's why it's blowing my mind because I'm like, yeah. I guess that's sort of what you kind of, in order to be like this activist, lefty, resistance person, I guess you do have to kind of ignore that they have feelings. Am I right? Yeah, and you have to ignore your own personal politics to a certain extent. And we have to acknowledge that left in this country is still only centre-left. Like, it's not a radical left-wing politics. You know, like, you put Jeremy Corbyn up against like someone like even who might be considered centre-left, uh, Caroline Lucas, like, Caroline is, like, way in that left-hand corner because what what I feel the Greens in this country are really trying to push for isn't power, but is, like, is, is futurism. And so... Yeah, maybe the resistance is the thing that's attracted to me because it's about radicalism. It neither takes sides, but it's neither... um, It's not... It doesn't admit that good is good enough. That left is good enough. Because... You know, like, I lived through a very formative time where when I became more politically conscious and when I was looking for what was then gay equality, which I now strive for, for queer equality, um, like Tony Blair was like offering, at every age marker in my life, was offering that thing. So Equal Age of Consent came in the year before I was 16 and, and sort of an employment regulation was coming in when I was a young teenager and then civil partnership. And so the markers that Labour showed to me was attractive. But like, and for lots of LGBTQIA people, like that is enough for them to be a, a lifelong Labour voter. But then when we look at things that haven't affected us directly, so illegal wars in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Kosovo, in colonialism, imperialism, um, that have happened under Labour governments, like that's, that's, 
that's not good enough for me to then be like, I am going to be this defiant left person. So to be part of the discourse says, I, I dis- disagree with the the patriarchal capitalist models of our current government. Um, I disagree with um, the fact that we uh, live with career politicians. I disagree with the fact that... Um, like the way that it's funded and how it's funded and the types of people who can be in power. And and so, yeah, maybe I would join the resistance because it allows me to question all of those things and, I guess, queer those things. Wow, that was boring. <laughs> no, God, no. No, I just want to absorb it in a way. Is that the wrong answer? Was I no, supposed to say all. good? <laughs> And then you'd go, cool, question number yes three. Yes no question. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. So say that this resistance in this particular scenario was, I'd assume, because it's my imagination, it is a very radical, like it's a radical mm. movement. What would you do within the resistance? What would be your job? Because there's a lot, you could be admin. PR, yeah, like it's it's a very it's a good infrastructure. This this um, particular resistance movement. It's a lot of jobs that you could do. Which one would be your job within this particular resistance? That's a good question. I think it, to relate it to current politics, to give it some form of like, uh, I think I'd like to be the Diana Burke. <laughs> which is a sentence that hasn't ever been said before (laughs) granted and what I mean by that is to be is to to help with uh prominence of a discussion and manifesto but I wouldn't want to be the Jeremy Corbyn Um, no I think what would I like to do do you mean like leader you didn't want you wouldn't be the leader you'd be like the well no because actually I think having leaders to things is where we we like trip up I like I've seen so many brilliant queer models which are sort of commune-based and Mm. uh, uh, about linear linear structures rather than hierarchical, um, monolithic, patriarchal structures. Um, So, yeah, I think, like, committees and communes-type models would work really well. Um, And so, what would I like to do? What would be on the agenda? I mean... Like, this is where it gets troubling because it's quite complex, especially when I want to talk about gender. Because what I want to do is be like, you know, live in a world in 50 years' time where kids are looking in history books, um, a a more factually correct history at that point, hopefully, um, where they're going, you mean they believed that each, like, there was just two sections of society? They believe these things? Lol. Um, they won't be saying lol. No, they won't. They'll be saying... <laughs> That's dead. Blah, 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 something like that, maybe. <laughs> That's my premonition for okay, the future. Cool. Also, the thing that annoys me about the future, uh, in the future that's on telly, is that it's either very clean or very dirty, right? So it's always like, you know, at the moment there's this electric happy dreams yeah. thing that's on. And it's like like dusty <laughs> and dirty and like everyone's got the washing hanging out and it's really <laughs> smoggy. And then there are other versions of Channel 4 Futurism where it's like it's like being in an IKEA catalogue. Like everything is just yeah, it's white. Yeah, like it's got, a fixed dirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, why can't, why isn't the future just going to be like it is now? Like bookshelves and anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> but no gender roles. <laughs> <laughs> no gender roles. Um, 
so yeah so it's troublesome when I want to talk about the future of gender because I don't want to deny people their ownership of their gender specifically cis women who or, or actually anyone who identifies as a woman um, want to rob that away from people but I definitely want to question it and allow there for a space for people like me to exist um, and so yeah that would be high up on the agenda I guess the gender agenda oh I've found mine for the few, not for the many, for the the gender for the agenda type thing. Yeah, it needs some work. It needs some work. Um, so there'll be questions around that. I want to talk about um, uh, so work that I'm going to be making uh, next year looks at hereditary trauma and that relationship with addiction. Ooh, um, do you have addictions? Yeah, loads of them. Oh, I'm like bingo addiction. Really? Well, yeah. And actually, um, so, I mean, I think already people will understand if they're going to listen to this podcast, we're going to be talking about very triggering things. But um, yeah, I, I I have a lot of them and I live with them. It's not, never something that you like get over. Again, it's about this uh, sense of self-worth and visibility. It's not something that one day you go, ah, done okay good okay next one um it's a constant relationship i guess the most prominent that's been in my life is food and food addiction and this is, and the reason why i want to investigate it in a hereditary sense is because i identify that my eating disorder and my relationship with food which I, yeah i rarely call it a disorder i call it a relationship with food um comes because i grew up with a mum who uh, had bulimia all throughout my childhood um and a parent that is still processing their relationship with food um and i was the grandchild of two very poor very very poor farmers from ireland who were who my great grandparents were children of the Irish famine and so food has like um has been passed down the generations as a troublesome difficult non-accessible thing and so that's why it presents itself in my life as something that is to be consumed as quickly as possible uh, that is and and in relationship to being queer and femme you know when you leave the house and people are laughing at you and you have no control of those things you go to the fridge and you have complete control of it you have com- complete control of your relationship with food um the difficulty with food like unlike other substance abuses is that i have to have an ongoing relationship with it so three times a day i have to have my hit because otherwise I'll die. Um, and so that's what makes it a really difficult one. And if I think the general public knew that or acknowledged that a bit better, maybe it would be taboo to call out you fat cunt at me from a white van every day. Um, so, yeah, food. Uh, alcohol was an addiction, I think, uh, for me. Although whenever people say to me, oh, you don't drink anymore. And I say, oh, yeah, I gave up. And they're like, oh, yeah, but you... You weren't a bad drinker, were you? Um, but yeah, there's a real history of alcohol abuse in my family, and I've seen what trouble that it can cause. So there's that. Um, I think I'm learning how to not be a work addict. Oh, that's a hard one. It is hard because I mean, I say that from my point of view, I'm like, oh, that's the one I don't want to face. Like I face the food thing. I'm, I'm kind of dealing with that. I think I'm as mentally healthy about it as I can be at the moment. Like I don't really binge eat that much anymore. I, sometimes I will, I will want to do it. I'll try to do it, but I can't physically do it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, 
oh, this is, <laughs> you can't even do eating disorders, right? <laughs> you're like, come on, eating the pizza. <laughs> you're a bad, fat person. Come on. But the work thing is like, oh, oh but it brings me joy. <laughs> and yeah, and actually, uh, well, for me, uh, it, it brings me a lot of joy. But I think uh, it manifests itself in my life because I grew up and up, up until last year, I lived on the council estate that I was brought up in uh, on. And I grew up, in poverty and I grew up around other poor people and there's a lot of class not cl- not physical class shame because I'm very proud about being a working class person but I know like I wouldn't want to experience like living off of cans again or playing with condensation as a three-year-old child or like living amongst vermin like so that stuff is why that work drive is there and so that that stuff's bigger than me and maybe I'll address that in uh, like in the future but yeah like I recently went on holiday for the first time in two years and I deleted my gmail and it's actually one of the most liberating things that I've done just to delete my email for two weeks yeah but that sort of says where we are as a society as well. It's like there was this expectation of us to constantly be able to answer a question and sometimes we just need to be able to think. Yeah, I think I've... Yeah, with that, I'm... I think I've, I've been able to let it go in my head. Like, I'm... Because when I do projects with people, sometimes they'll be like, we just got this email, can you answer it? And I'm like, no, I can answer it maybe tomorrow or the day after. They're like, mm. no, we have to answer it now. And I'm like, nah... I'm just not going to do that. Like, if it's important enough, they'll email us again. Like, mm. everyone can wait. Like, no one no one is allowed to rush me with anything. So that's why I am i don't really... I'm quite okay with the notifications thing and the, the checking emails and stuff because I'm... I've, I think I've le- taught myself to be selfish enough to be like, eh, mm. <laughs> they can wait. Or maybe I'm just desperate to not acknowledge that it might be a... <laughs> A problem. No, I think, well... I'm like a work apologist now. (laughs) (laughs) You are wrong. You are wrong. I am enjoying my emails. (laughs) I think with all of these things, like, the reason why we're questioning them is obviously because, like, we, we want, like... Okay, utopia doesn't exist. We can all agree on that. Well, maybe we can't. Um, because, like, my version of utopia mm. is not the same as somebody else's. But we should be all striving for utopianism. So the fact that we are all trying to question the world and make it a better oh, place means yeah. that we will create a form of utopia that's uh, cohesive. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for me in my life is, isn't a, an addiction, maybe it's a discrimination, um, is masculinity. Um, I find myself eye-rolling at cisgendered men. I find myself feeling very uh, physically, uh, ag- uh, feeling this pent aggression towards cis men. I feel, uh, and, and these... And it's a complex Stockholm Syndrome and, or trauma bond. It's me uh, wanting some form of repentance or um, up, uh, just, yeah, I want to demonstrate to them everything that they've done to me. Um, and like everyone I work with, I'm very lucky. I've got like people that I work with to create my work are, are all women or femmes. I thought you were going to say some of my best friends are cis <laughs> No, No, they're not. They're not. That's the problem. Like I can't trust men. I can't. I, I. I can't trust cis men because of the oppressions that they have demonstrated to me. And um, 
that's that's tough because then I am I am then enacting an oppression onto another group. But until, I, I, yeah, but that that's like you for work. I'm a bit like, nah, I'm all right with it. <laughs> Can I tell you something I did that's maybe problematic? Yeah. Why are you looking like this? This is really bad. Good. So I had the sex, right, with a cis man. You had the sex? Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, fine. I just wanted to clarify that you did say the, the sex. sex. Yeah. I had the sex. and um, With a cisgendered with man. With a cisgendered man. Well, He's actually all right. He's fine. I mean, not like, still trash, but... <laughs> but <laughs> whatever. But um, I don't know why I did it, but then during... Like when he was like on top of me, his face was like very close to my face. I, he was really going at it, and then I whispered, "All men are trash." <gasps> yes. Oh my god, you I've get never a badge. Been closer to a vaginal orgasm before in my life. You get a badge. It felt so fucking good. You get like, oh, I'm so it envious. It felt so good. It this, felt so good. Oh, this needs to be on your Twitter. Like, as <laughs> this needs to go in your bio. This needs like someone needs to give you like an award at Edinburgh next year, just specifically for and the All Men Are Trash Award goes to. <laughs> The only one <laughs> willing to say it out loud. <laughs> you, know, you know, like this relates back to bravado because actually as much as this show is about going into male space, it is about the commonality that I have with um, women and femmes of that uh, women and femmes who have sex with cisgendered men is that we have this really complex relationship where we have read up on feminism. We understand misogynies in the complexity. We understand about socialized masculinity and we cite them quite often in conversations like this as the enemy as the person who actively oppresses us on a day-to-day basis but we also still like their penises and it's so tricky because it is complete (laughs) Stockholm syndrome of like we love our oppression but down with (laughs) you as well but please can we have a little bit of your penis as well? And it's so fucked because, yeah. like, you, I just can't get beyond it. But it's the antelope having sex with the lion. Like, it's stupid. Uh, not stupid, sorry, that's ableist, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, a, it's scary. It's, danger- it's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous, too. But I, I, had, I, I wrote, was it, it must be a tweet where I did the whole all men are trash thing. And I had a, a cisgendered, uh, white, straight, blah, 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 friend of mine message me and be not in an aggressive way to his you have them as your friends i have a friend of, a friend of mine is actually so a friend uh, a friend the friend the, I, I just feel like i need to speak to them sometimes so to see <laughs> what this is my I, I mean yeah sure it's brave but uh <laughs> i just really want to know what they're thinking <laughs> but he asked me he said it's just that you keep saying that all men are trash and i was just wondering well that's a weird thing to say isn't it and and i got to because it wasn't in a, like, he wasn't saying, I'm not trash. I think he was saying, am I trash? And I was like, oh, I'd love to answer this. And I wrote such a long thing about how, like, where men are trash, the hashtag, where I believe it stemmed from. Uh, like, what, from what I, because from what I understand, and I might be wrong about this, it was uh, an activist, or a woman of color who had made a T-shirt that said, all men are trash, which is kind of a joke. That's like a funny thing, right? And then she got in death threats, had to leave her house and all of this. And then that became a statement in itself saying, no, we're, st- you know, 
stepping up to this behavior from someone just made this fucking t-shirt and also like, demonstrating their violence like it's not, yeah mm. and it's not a it's not a you know there's not been that much of a hassle when uh, women are raped like that no one does that much of it than when someone had a t-shirt mm-hmm. mm. that said men on it uh, that from be, it being like a yeah exactly a statement of well every time i say it men behave like trash so i mean i'd love to stop saying it you go first. Am I wrong about this? What's your no. relationship with the all men are trashing? Because for me, it's well, apart from now being a kink, uh, <laughs> it's also just it's just so powerful. I'm not going to stop saying it. I think like I, I have this conversation lots, like because when I come into like art spaces or when I'm like with thinkers and activists, and quite often we you use you know like cis het white as a kind of like shorthand for the the active oppressor that's in our lives um and they uh quite often there's like one cis het straight middle class het and straight there at the same time very unique um middle class able-bodied um will say um i just want to say hashtag not all men And the first time that someone did this to me, like, I was so angry that the only thing I could do was go... (sighs) And then I, like, you know, you go away from a thing and you think, oh, I thought of, like, a good response now. That's annoying. (laughs) So then it happened again. And I thought, okay, think of this. What was that response? And um, I like to remind men that... In this very small space, in this sort of back room of a theatre, where 25 of us are talking about oppression, and if men are the enemy here, that's okay. Because after that hour, we step out into the room, and then it goes back to normal for that one person, and the rest of the 25 of us live in a very violent, actively violent world. And so the reset button is pressed for them whilst leaving that room. So, like, if you can bear it for the next hour, man, that's okay. Um, And then also there was something else that I remind them, which, um, of course, I've forgotten now um, because that's that's the way of the world. But, yeah, I just... It's not like if if this really hurts you, then that's the whole... This is the first time you felt this. Yeah, it's about, like, if... And I think this goes for a lot of things. Like, if you hear people of colour saying to you, like, white people are racist like or like men are annoying if you're there as a white person or as a man going this is about me then maybe you should hear what that voice is telling you maybe you need to reframe your masculinity maybe you need to reframe your whiteness to understand that actually yes it is about you but no it isn't about you at the same time and trying to um understand that takes a lot of time but like if you just listen and hear it through you'll understand that we're talking about a complex system that has perpetrators and if you're not a perpetrator um, if you've divorced yourself from being that perpetrator for good or bad, then just just listen and you might learn something. But yeah, it's frustrating because I just feel like I, I spend a lot of my t- time queer-splaining to mansplainers <laughs> or like femsplaining to like cis men. And I just feel like, oh, do you know what? Like Google, like use it, look up, 
fragile masculinity and then maybe like that's a quicker shorthand um but that's what annoys me is that even in this like uh these utopianistic spaces that we all attempt to create to talk and discuss about things um it's always us the the oppressed who have this expectation of democracy like we're always being like okay let's invite the men in and like make them feel comfortable and make them tea and make them understand masculinity in like a really nice soft way and i guess bravado is about going no i'm going to really fucking put you through this in the way that you've put me through it and then if you take something from it or if you feel aggressive towards me then maybe that my truth about you all being violent is is true um yeah it's it's tough it's really complex but i like it though i like i like that approach that i'm not gonna try and be a nice the, the nice guy in this i we did a there's a post somewhere where someone said have a good weekend all fat people and then immediately someone said what what about all thin people should they not have a good weekend and then a lot of people went no 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 I tried to explain it and I I couldn't help it I went on and said no they can't I hope all thin people have a fucking mediocre weekend like I hope they cry all the way through I don't give a shit yeah yeah uh, anyways I, I've let you speak for way too long uh, because you have to, because you have to go soon not because you <laughs> you've said far too much on this podcast I would uh, like to because there's one more question that I really want you to answer yeah. to so uh, you were just born Right, you have you are in the delivery room and you are holding teeny tiny baby Scotty in your arms, and you can. So I'm holding myself. Yeah. Wow, this is deep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and little baby's crying, crying and screaming because there's light and 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 sounds and all that was not in the womb and it's all very scary and you know that this baby is going to experience so much yeah. light and sound, but it won't be light and sound. It'll be other experiences like being cornered by. Group of men being shouted at from vans and stuff, but you, and this baby's scared. But you also know what the next couple of decades are going to be like for this baby. So you can say something to the baby. You can't change the future. That's not how you can't change anything. But you can maybe say something to the baby in this very moment that could maybe calm it down, or if if that's what you want to want to happen. So what would you say to teeny tiny baby Scotty? Wow, this is deep. You don't get this shit on other podcasts. Um. <laughs> Leave a review on iTunes. <laughs> don't don't do that. Um, oh, that's tough because the the like the like queer femme radical fat troublemaker that is surrounded by other people like that um, wants me to pick it up and be like, babes, it's gonna be all right. But the realist in me, and, and that sounds like a Stonewall campaign. And like I find that shit really troublesome. Um, like some people are gay, get over it. Like no, some people are gay, and then they're fucking like tortured and killed and like harassed uh, every day. But you know that doesn't make for a good t-shirt, apparently. Uh, <laughs> um, so what would I say to the baby? Maybe I'd say like, um, it's so sound. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way of not sounding poetic. Uh, so it's something like, uh, yeah cry <laughs> because I think the world the world has taught me violently and if that baby's crying there and then I know that I know that I can equip it with the tools whilst it's growing up to be stronger and more defiant and to progress the relationship that I now 
have at this present moment in this room with you um, and just equip it with enough armour. But uh, it's an ongoing relationship and the world at this current point is a volatile, angry and aggressive place. And so, yeah, maybe we all, maybe the baby just needs to cry. Please don't play this to the adoption at service. <laughs> You're going to give me a baby? Well, I'm going to let it cry because I'm going to let it understand the world that we live in, okay? Social service is going to have a child now. I was going to say that someone should make that t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, cry. No, the other yeah. one, the one you said with the oh, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. sometimes gay people are tortured and... I would want to see that t-shirt. Yeah, and the, what's the... That's the, the problem that I have with a lot of... Um, and I use this short acronym on purpose because it's the acronym that many charities like LGBT... Uh, LG, like Stonewall use. LGBT, because that's the only people that they look after. Um, is th- that, that it's, it's always a sort of veiled truth. Um, so there's sort of new one of like, come out for LGBT. This idea that somehow like if people come out, like their lives are going to be better. So like you try saying that to like the like fat kid who grew up in Catholicism, i.e. me, like, like come out. Like, yeah. And then they have to deal with the rest of the church, like judging them and then dealing with preachers and uh, teaching in uh, a book that tells them they should be stoned to death. Like, yeah, you try and say that to the 50 year old person who like is unable to come out because they've got children and because of judgment and for a whole nother, like loads of reasons about wealth and culture and um, ability, um, like yeah, just come out. Like, it's far too simplistic a message. So, like, if people want to start having, like, really complex issues, like, come out if it's okay for you to and you're in a safe environment and that you're not restricted because of wealth, situation, class, context, then it might be good for you, T-shirt, then, like, maybe, like, I'll sign up to it. But um, I also can't sign up to something that doesn't fully acknowledge the 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 acronym which is LGBTQIA asterisk. Um, oh, it's an asterisk. I thought it was plus. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, throw in whatever you like. Actually, um, <laughs> uh, the asterisk and the plus is supposed to, is uh, so the plus signify that we we know that we've not covered all of it yet. Yes, right? and there's inclusion, and it's about saying and the intersections between those. Uh, uh, those letters so you know like trans people aren't just trans people trans people can also be lesbian here you go (laughs) listen cisgender men listen to this are like what what (laughs) you may have to learn two things um one of my favorite things is uh when uh cis men say to me uh lg oh god i just can't get it what is it what is it and i'm like google like google it like if you've got a problem with the acronym like then maybe you need a dyslexia test or maybe like you need to understand like it's just letters or after or after you've spent hours explaining something to them and then they go i don't know it's just too i'm out yeah i'm out too complex i don't get it good luck that you can just step out of it yeah i also (laughs) don't care if you don't fucking get it like it's gonna exist with or without you have you heard the new the new term he's planning no which is uh when a woman says something no is it he's planning or is it he 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 ex anyway i think it's he's planning no he he peating he, pe- he peating 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So when a woman says something and then a man uh, repeats it and makes it his idea and then it goes through in like a meeting or something. And it often happens in comedy. Oh, yeah. Like, especially in improvised comedy when people who are cis women or identify as women say, oh, you know, and then he did this. And then they'll go, yeah, he did this. And then it's the audience still laughs at the cis male oh, yeah. doing it because they're, but it's because they're conditioned that, you know, like, you know, men are funny, right? Like, if I had to have that conversation one more time, like, oh, women funny. It's like, like, oh, oh do women breathe? I mean, it's, yeah, so reductive. Unfortunately, um, they do. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I, 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 you have to go and I feel so bad for, for I want to do this more. Uh, you'll come back, right? Only if you ask me the baby question every time. Uh, <laughs> exclusively. I know. I'm repeating. I, <laughs> I really enjoy um, having conversations with you because I feel like, like, I lo- like this is naff, but I really do learn from things that you say. Like, I really do take them away. Like, um, especially, like, some stuff that you've spoke about, about fatness and capitalism mm. and, like, helping me join some dots. And that's what these things are for, right? Like, hopefully that's an exchange that you feel like, ah, oh, yeah, there's a dot, there's some, like, things that I hadn't connected. And the more oh, that I've, do that... I've learned- so much like I feel like I could give you nothing no not in the slight no far from it and I think these interactions are really important um you can put this put this in the edit because it'll make you sound really good oh, yeah. but Do I think like I, I think podcasts like this now, I think podcasts like this are really important because there's this meeting of our minds but it's also those listeners who are going yeah yeah me too but the ones that I'm really hoping for are the ones that are like no I really don't believe in this because that says that they're being questioned, right? It yeah. says that like, I'm going to get some emails about the cis men being trash. They are though. I'm okay with that. Like, they, they, you know, divert that mailbox straight to me. I will. I'll forward it. I'm more than happy to send them back a gif, which is just me eye rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I sent them back the one from the office. Have you seen the, the American The Office when he gets a, a, a no, not the from Parks and Recreation when he gets like a round desk and then he sits in the middle of it and then a woman comes to complain and he just keeps turning. And she runs in circles around the table as he just keeps turning. That's how I feel. Anyways, how can people see you and find your work? Uh, on the internet, I'm touring my show Bravado and the book is out that accompanies uh, the show, like a very grown-up person. Um, and that is touring from late September up until next year, um, whenever that runs out and the book comes out on Oberon. Um, but Scott uk, which is S-E-O-T-T-E-E why did I choose such a complex name um, is like where I where I live but also just on your friends list as well because I just feel like I live for your Instagram stories oh my god thank you have you seen the one from yesterday with the flies uh, yeah I saw that and I thought now, have I got any advice that might help you know like that's what I think when I look at Instagram stories I think let me really rack my brains and feel like if there's anything I can contribute to this but I, I you've also never like, helped with a fly infestation before I'm no. really sorry I thought I no maybe there's like something dead maybe I thought maybe there was something dead in your house no, it was just a croissant on my table at that croissant that's been lying there for months anyways I really need to let you go uh, thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening. Uh, go and see Scotty on his tour and go and uh, find his book and read his book if you can't see him on tour. 
it's it's a, it it doesn't take long to read and it is but you're going to want to read it so many more times because it's so powerful so do that oh, thank you so much Scotty, for doing this it's uh oh, he's my favorite um doing this podcast is, is one of my favorite things and i'm so so happy that you've listened to this episode it might be your first time maybe you're a regular listener either way thank you so so much uh i love that i get to make all the decisions myself and you know i I, I, it's my thing. Like no one else decides. And I love that. And I love that there's no CEO. There's no one who tells me what to do. And that is because you guys support it. That's because you donate money to it. And because you tell your friends and you leave five star reviews on iTunes and you share it on social media. And, and most importantly, this means so much to me. You tag on Twitter, you tag the people who are guests and you thank them for being on the show. That means so much. When I see you tell whatever, Colin Mockery or Katie Brand or whatever, that they, their interview was great. It means so much. I, and I can't really describe it. It's just in this business, we do a lot of things and it's nice, it's nice to know that someone's listening. So thank you so much for also tweeting the guests, telling them that they're great because they all are. So. If you want to help in other ways, patreon.com forward slash Mopod. Go and donate a certain amount of money per episode. It's very easy. It's very uh, easy to use. It's There's no hassle. It just works automatically. Um, so do, go to that. That means a lot. Because if you do, if you give more than $5 per episode, you get a special thank you, which is me butchering your name, which is that is going to happen <laughs> right now. So... A huge thank you to these legends. Um, I want to thank Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingrith, uh, Marnie Biles, Rachel Furley, Zoe Cumberland, Marbles Lost, Joe Sieg, Rachel Craftman, George Pearson, Elizabeth Stoppelmore, Vivienne Riddick, uh, Kirsten Davidson, Purdy Patterson, Steph Ream, Murray Fraser, Ruth Harvey, Jane Young, Bethany Dahlstrom, Katie Hatfield, Robin Cabot, James Frew, Karen Threthaway, Russell Hughes, Ida Sugo Larsen, Lucy Inger Ellingson, Caleb Melqua, Dr. Bo Dr. Bodacycle Returns. Sack for fuck's sake. Uh, you can choose your own names, that's why. Dr. Bodacycle. Amazing. Jessica Stuhlfire, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Kathy Beveridge, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo Nascimento, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Grace Suter, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dyke, Eleanor, Sarah Ferrero, Eikerseth, and Daniel Rivershead. Jesus Christ, guys, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. I want to thank uh, Sarah Garvey for producing this episode, Bailey Leonard for writing and recording the jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo, and to the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes. Ah. Thank you so much for listening. I will speak to you next Wednesday. Mm -hmm.